Uh, for those of you that are just showing up, or maybe you missed last week, but last week we introduced a new series, uh, and it was called, What Do Disciples Do? Now, obviously, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, uh, as the church, we do a lot of things, uh, but there's a few things that we at Bethany Community Church as a whole that we value. And last week, we talked about this idea of gathering, that it is important, and not only important, but we value and see as being faithful to our calling as Christians to gather, find this rhythm, and that's why you're here this morning, because there's a value in gathering together and doing life with one another in a rhythm as its weekly basis. And then this week, we not only gather, we don't just sit there as our gathering services on Sunday, but we also grow. We, we grow as Christians, we grow as believers, and we'll, we'll take a look at a bit of what that looks like today. Uh, our next series, our, our technically our fall series, is going to be called Sustainable Faith, and that's talking about what it looks like to actually grow. What are the tools in growing? But we'll touch on that today, and then next week we'll talk about this idea of go, that we not only gather, we not only grow together, but we actually go. We get sent out to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so that's the direction we're going today. Uh, pray with me. God, thank you so much that you have called us to, to not only gather here on Sundays, uh, but also grow uh, in our relationship with you and our relationship uh, with others. And so we thank you for that calling because we know that there's beauty in that, there's health in that, uh, and there's life to that. And so continue to teach us on what it looks like to be people that grow in our faith. In your name we pray, amen. So I don't know about you, but one of my favorite fruits to eat is none other than an apple, especially a Honeycrisp apple. And so in my hands here, I have apple seeds. Now, uh, if I were to ask you, uh, what do these seeds do? We would all agree on what they do, right? They, they're found inside the apple and they're meant to grow other apples. Now, I have these seeds here, and if I were to put it in the ground, if I dug a little hole and I put it in the ground, what do you think that the, if I, if I asked you, okay, what is the goal of these seeds being inside the ground, what would the goal be? And again, a lot of us, all of us would probably agree that the goal of these seeds being planted is to produce fruit. My favorite fruit, a Honeycrisp apple. That would be the goal of planting, of putting these seeds into the ground. And then if I ask you, okay, how does this happen? How does me putting just a tiny little seed into the soil produce such delicious fruit? And for a lot of us, we're versed in agriculture and in gardening, uh, some more than others. Uh, you would say, well, uh, what is also required is that you have to prep the seed in order to grow it. You have to figure out how much amount of water that you need. You need the right type of soil. You need the right kind of sun. You need to know when to prune it. There's all these different aspects uh, of what it requires to make this seed produce a delicious fruit like this. Now, though we may come from different aspects of life and we may know different things or not know much at all about gardening, uh, we would all also agree on this, that if I said we will just plant this seed into the ground and just walk away, we would all agree that it probably wouldn't grow. 
right? Just because we planted the seed into the ground, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll automatically produce a fruit like this. Again, it requires attention. It requires attentionality and time and resources uh, and knowledge and research and all those things. It doesn't just grow automatically. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, when I was younger, my mom told me, I remember the first day I found out that you can actually grow apple trees from the seed directly from the apple. Now, obviously, for some of you, that is obvious. Uh, me, as a five-year-old, it was not as obvious. Uh, but you can grow these delicious fruit straight from the seed from the apples that you eat. And so I remember taking this outside and planting it into the dirt. And it, And day after day, I would come out, and I would see that nothing has happened. The next day, I would come out, nothing has happened. It was weeks before I came out, and still nothing happened to the seed. And as I look back when I got older and as an adult, well, of course the seed didn't grow to be an apple. Of course it didn't just blossom just because I put it into the ground. Why? Because I did nothing to it. I didn't care for it. I didn't nurture it. I didn't put it in the right soil. I didn't put enough water in it. And and this seems obvious, right? And and a lot of you guys are probably thinking, all right, we're talking about growth. We're talking about growing in our faith. I know where we're going with this, that we need to nurture and cultivate our faith just like we have to nurture and cultivate a seed that we plant in order for it to produce fruit. Yes, it's that obvious, yet we live antithetically to that. A lot of us, including myself, oftentimes we live a life where we plant a seed and we just automatically expect things to grow. See, a lot of us, we live our life that we say, okay, as long as I memorize a few passages of the Bible, as long as I go to church on uh, most Sundays, then I'm good. As long as I pray before every meal, as long as maybe I have my daily devotions, then I'm good. See, oftentimes it reflects us just planting the seeds in the ground and just walking away. And yet what God is saying and what we read throughout Scripture is that, no, it requires a lot more than just us proclaiming that we're a Christian and actually cultivating this faith that God has us to cultivate. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, it's going to be our primary text. And and here's what the writer says. It says, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skills to recognize the difference between right and wrong. See, not long after Jesus' death, the, the community, the followers of Jesus, about 30, 40 years after Jesus' death, uh, they were being stagnant in their faith. 
Yes, they understood who Jesus was, that Jesus was their Savior, Jesus was their Messiah, the one that came to rescue, believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, proclaimed to be followers of the way, during that time, the way, the Christians, yet they lived in a way where they would plant a seed and say, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, boom, I'm done. And yet the writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, many think it's Paul, we don't actually know, is observing the community and he's saying, look, the way you're living is stagnant. As a matter of fact, not only are you not maturing and growing in your faith, you're actually moving backwards. See, the converted Christians of this time, uh, or especially the one that this writer is talking to, uh, are Christians that converted from Judaism. I mean, all their lives, that's what they knew, is to follow the Ten Commandments, the Torah, to do all the rituals and traditions, and, and that's what would make you a good, righteous, religious person, a, a righteous, holy Jewish person. And, and at their conversion, when they decided to follow Jesus, they, be, they, they committed to a new life, to follow and become like this man named Jesus, and yet, they were being stagnant and not pursuing the relationship with God. And this writer is saying, look, you, you're at a point in your Christian faith that you should actually be the one teaching others. You should be the one convicting and, and, and moving people along just like people did for you, and yet the opposite is happening. You're actually not teaching others. As a matter of fact, you are going backwards, so backwards that now you're the one that needs to be taught at, or retaught. That was the message that was happening in Hebrews. The message is you have to grow. I mean, can you imagine uh, us as human beings? Yes, we drink milk as babies. And yet as we mature and as we grow, we move on to solid food. I mean, that's just a natural progression as we grow. And the writer here is using this metaphor, this analogy, saying, look, this is how ridiculous this is. You should be at a point where you should be teaching, but instead, you're actually going back to milk. You are an adult. You're a grown person. You should be eating solid food, yet you're not. See, all over Scripture, in Hebrews and the Gospels, the idea for us as followers is to mature in our faith and to grow. And what is growth? Growth is a process where in which we become more and more like Christ. That is growth. That, to our context, to what we're talking about today, God, to, to what God is calling us to do in aspects of growth, growth is the process where in which we become more and more like Christ. This is the point as Christians that our lives would be uh, this constant journey towards maturity. See, again, spiritual maturity isn't just about Bible knowledge. It's about knowledge that equates to actual transformation. In other words, is your life bearing fruit? I mean, this is a question that I should ask every single day. It's a question that we should ask every single day when we wake up. 
If we consider ourselves as followers of Christ and growing in our faith, A, what does that mean? And what we're saying, what that means is that every day you should be reflecting the love, the hospitality, the generosity of who Jesus is. And if we do that, we bear fruit. And so we're moving kind of backwards as to what growth is. Yes, we'll talk about how to do it, why it's important, but the goal is that in our lives, because we're reflecting who Jesus is, that as a byproduct, we will produce fruit. See, in John chapter 15, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And then in verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In order to show yourself, in order for me to show myself as a disciple, as one who follows Jesus, is evident by the fruit that we produce. But a couple observations about that is that this idea of remain, we must remain in Christ. It's this word meno, it's a Greek word meno, which is a, which is a verb, it's an action word, that's something that's continuously happening. And so we can use this word meno, we can use it as abide, we can use it as remain, we can, we can use it as being next to at all times. This is a, a word that invokes movement. And, and, and following and, and doing, not, not to say that our faith is based off of works, but it does require a participation on our side. And so we can't just say, all right, I'm just going to say I'm a Christian, all right, I'm going to go to church, and that's it, bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. What men know is saying you must remain and abide in this idea of is this act of following, Figuring out who Christ is, learning about who Jesus is, about what it means to be in community and transforming and changing and being convicted in our own lives. This constant movement in our lives is required to remain in Christ, to be a disciple. It's this Greek word methetai, which literally means to be more like your master. a process and oftentimes we don't realize or we get defeated or we get discouraged because following Jesus is difficult and yet just like anything else any important thing in our lives it's a process something that we must participate in every single day of our lives to be more like our master Jesus disciple mathetai that's what it means And so I love how Pastor Tim Keller, he asks this question, are you maturing or just getting older? Are you maturing or just getting older? Because oftentimes we can, by age, be getting older, but are we maturing in our understanding, in our life, in our movements to be more like God? Are you crossing social divides? You know, okay, what does fruit look like? Are you crossing social divides? Are you loving your enemies? Do you have compassion for the weak, the sick, the marginalized? Are you increasingly finding liberation from from addiction? Are you living with your body and your sexuality in ways uh, that's life-giving rather than destructive? To the extent that you have it, 
Are you giving away money? Are you being generous and hospitable with the resources that God is the one that has blessed you? Are you gathering with people for worship in order to be encouraged, as we talked about last week? This is what it looks like to bear fruit. And it's evident if we grow. And one theologian says it is not about believing in Christ, which ultimately matters. Rather, it's becoming more like him. That is important. And of course, belief is is foundational. But growing as a disciple, that, that takes more work. So then why is it important for us to grow and to mature? Because if we're bearing fruit... If we're, if we're showing the love of Christ, if we are being uh, consumed with who God is and God's love for us, and, and we're able to love those around us, it is important, as a matter of fact, pivotal for us to all grow in our understanding and knowledge, not only that of who God is, but to actually practice that. And when we as followers of Jesus practice the love that we know and understand, it changes the world around us. I mean, that, that is so important for us to know. That it's not just about knowledge. See, a lot of us, you know, we go to church and we talk about wanting to be spiritually fed. I hear that a lot. And I hear from other people saying, oh, you know, they'll come to Bethany actually and say, you know, I left that church because I wanted to be more spiritually fed. And it's kind of Christian lingo for, uh, I want the pastor to teach me things, teach me new language, Greek, Hebrew, whatever it is, in context. I want to know all these things. And yes, to a certain degree, that's important. We must understand what we're reading. But if we don't practice what we're listening, you're making no difference in your faith. As a matter of fact, I would not call that maturity. I would call that immaturity because maturity would understand that the point of growth, the point of growing in our faith and learning is to actually practice it to make an impact in our world. And so when people say, yes, I want to be more spiritually fed, and my response oftentimes is, look, we are spiritually fed all the time. A lot of us, we're spiritually obese. Because we eat, eat, eat the spiritual food, this material, which is all good stuff, but we don't exercise it. We need to exercise it, implement it, show the world what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That's why growth is important. It's not just so we can have more information, but it's so we can make an impact in the world around us, in our community, so we can live a different life, so we can reflect the love of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can it be salting it? How can the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out to be trampled underfoot. And then in verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. Essentially, or in other words, you're growing, you're learning more about God, you're becoming more in tune with your faith, so you can make an impact in the world and be a light. So the city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the, bush, uh, the basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I'll read that part again. So, so, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's important that we mature in our faith. Yes. What is, mature, what is maturity? It's bearing fruit. Well, what is bearing fruit is being more like Jesus, to love others, to forgive, to be, to be less angry, to be compassionate, to be generous. I mean, we go down the line of what it looks like to be Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's what growth is, and it's important. So we don't just hide it to ourselves, but we give that away, and the world sees what a wonderful God that we follow. What I want to spend a little bit more time on is how, how do we do this? And again, as I talked about earlier, we do this in several different ways. And we're going to talk for six weeks about this idea of sustainable faith. That, that series is coming up the week after next. Uh, on how we continue to grow our faith. It'll be a practical uh, and very tangible series. So I welcome and I invite all of you guys uh, to be here. But today we're going to talk specifically about this idea of growth and maturity in our faith. It cannot happen, no matter what tools that we have, no matter what kind of Bible study program we have, no matter what church attendance we have, no matter all those things, it cannot happen outside of community. It's just the way it is. Whether you like it or not, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, that doesn't really matter. Spiritual growth and maturity cannot happen alone. In Ephesians chapter 4, let me read this to you. It says, The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Ephesians 4, and now we're in 14. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with, uh, with which is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. Spiritual growth cannot happen outside of community. It's like a body. We're all joined together through ligaments and bones and muscles and joints. We're all put together as Christ is our head. And Corinthians talks about that as well. As we are one body. And we need one another in order for our maturity and for us to be able to bear fruit. And I know the word community is such a buzzword. It's a buzzword, you know, especially in the Christian church. Like, oh, we need community. Do community. And yes, it is a buzzword. And we can use whatever word that we want. But the bottom line for what I want to say is that we need each other. And we need people in our lives. It's just the way we were designed. And even not only the way we were designed, but even the way that God designed God's self. 
right? So God would even, uh, so a lot of theologians would say God would design God's self as uh, Trinity. We all know this idea of Trinity, uh, but theologians would call it uh, relational Trinitarianism. Yes, I know it's a big fancy word and we don't even need to go through the ins and outs of it, but relational Trinitarianism just states that God, as God designed God's self, that there's a relational aspect between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That yes, it's one God, three in one, three, but three persons in one. And this isn't a sermon on the Trinity because that's a whole separate thing. But we understand this is a pivotal part of who we know as who God is. It's a primary doctrine for all believers. And even within God's self, there is a relational aspect to it. And reflecting that, that's how God created humanity. Even from the very beginning of time of Adam and Eve, when God created Adam, first he you know, it says God created Adam, and he said it was good, and, and it was good. And then God created the trees, the animals, the land, and, and, and the water, and all these things, and God kept on saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then it says, but man was alone. And for the very first time in God's own creation, God said, and it is not good. And it is not good. But you see, when we look at the order of creation, the first human, Adam, was created, then all the things in the world, the land was created, and yet it was not good enough. So what the scripture is saying in Genesis chapter 1 is that when Adam was created, Adam essentially had everything Right? He had the land, he had the water, he had fruit, he had food, he had animals, he had pets, whatever. It is. He had everything, and yet it still was not good enough until God created his equal side, Eve. And then God said it was, for the very first time, it was very good. See, what creation, the creation narrative tells us is that A, yes, we are designed for one another because nothing else can fulfill us in our souls and our desires and our longings than through our relationships. Whether you like it or not, that is the way we grow, and outside of it, we cannot. The principle is simple, right? We need community but the practice is very difficult. It's challenging, especially uh, when you consider yourselves an introvert like myself. And and this sermon isn't about go out and hang out with a lot of people. You can do that if you want to, but the idea of community, of this gathering of people that I'm talking about, is that do you have people that you can actually do life with? And not just do life with, but as you're doing life to, with one another, your people, the people that you're doing life with, they're pointing you closer to Jesus. So you can bear much fruit being a disciple. Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you helping others bear more fruit? And are others doing that for you? A few months ago, uh, I went over to um, Pastor Richard and his wife to his place to, to hang out for the day with, with Richard and Donna. 
And if you know anything about Richard and Donna, they're, so Richard is the senior pastor of all of Bethany Community Church, and he teaches out of Bethany Green Lake. And so I went over to his house, and we were just hanging out for the day. And if you know anything about them, they love the outdoors, right? The Seattle Times once wrote an article on Richard Dahlstrom and called him the, the REI pastor, uh, which if you're familiar with him, that is so true. And so I went out to his place in Snoqualmie Falls area, and he and Donna took me out on a, a nature walk. And we went for a walk, uh, and Donna, his wife, was explaining uh, things about the forest, things that uh, I didn't know. And she would point out to these big fir trees and say, see those trees? And I said, yeah. And she would say, there's something unique about these big trees and about forests, it's, and it's their roots. And I do have a picture of there, if we can pull that out. Uh, and some of us, if we've been through hikes, if we've been into the mountains, if we've been anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, we've seen something like this. And what Donna was telling me is that the unique things about these trees are the roots. And it's not that they go so deep, although they do, but the interesting things about this, the roots of the tree is that it goes wide. And there's a reason why it goes wide, is that as trees grow and as their roots spread out, the roots, they actually connect and intermingle with one another. And actually, if it didn't do this, a single tree by itself would actually die because it doesn't have enough nutrients and in particular sugars uh, that it needs to survive. And so what happens when these roots come together is that they share those sugars and nutrients uh, and the nourishments that a tree needs to survive. One tree scientist, there are such things as tree scientists, says this, tree roots leak out sugars and other compounds into the soil. Those sugars are then soaked up by the neighboring roots. And then, and then the writer says, so it's literally like exchanging sugar with your neighbor. And then she also writes that trees fuse their roots to share minerals and nutrients, it's like connecting blood vessels with two people. What is seen as a, for, as a whole forest is oftentimes simply one organism. See, very similar to these trees and the roots interconnecting, doing life with one another in order to survive, in order to grow, in order uh, to flourish, that's us. Like these roots, we need to be rooted together, sharing nutrients and sugars like baked goods, but to do life with one another. And I thought this was such a great illustration. And then the tree scientist actually goes on to say this, though. He says, uh, she says, there's a downside to this. The trees share good nutrients, but it also shares diseases that are destructive and catastrophic. And if you've ever been part of the church for a while, you know that the other side is also true. That in our community, we have the power the power to give life by being a vessel of Christ's love to one another. We have the ability to give life, to speak life, to encourage, to speak truth and love. It's like what the scripture says. And yet on the other side is true. We have the power to destroy 
not just our individual others, but also the whole community. Togetherness is that powerful. You know, there's things that can destroy our relationships, especially in a community like ours. Gossip. I can give a whole sermon on the toxicity of gossip, sarcasm, exclusion, divisiveness. Those all things are, are toxic to any community. And what I love about the gathering of God's people is that we are allowed to have diverse aspects. We're allowed to have different perspectives. And my hope is that we give each other freedom to speak truth in our lives out of love. But this requires doing life with people. Even people that you might disagree with. Even people that are different life stage than you. Even people that look different than you. Even people that speak a different language than you. Because the need for community transcends all of that. I was reading this book by Brene Brown. She has a new book out. Uh, and, I, and I love her material. There was this small little quote that she said just in passing uh, of her book. It says, it's hard to hate people up close. It's hard to hate people up close. Are we getting close with people? I mean, are we right there doing life with them in their face, walking alongside with one another? Because if you are, I can promise you that there's nothing but, but this innate ability to love and to grasp on to that person. There's a former colleague of mine that used to really, really annoy me. I did not get along with this person. And even to this day, we have a hard time, you know, completely getting along. I mean, we respect each other, and, and it's great. We, we, you know, we still are able to have civil conversations, but uh, there's times where we just kind of bug each other. And we really did, you know, a while back, until there was a time where we had to sit down and share our stories. Our boss made us all just kind of share our stories. And I learned something about him that I never knew before. Well, A, because I kept a distance, and B, because I had this animosity, this grudge, if you will, towards this person. I didn't want to get to know this person. And yet we had a chance where we were essentially forced to. But once I got close and he was vulnerable enough to trust and to share his life story about some of the difficulties he's had growing up with his family, with abuse, with a lot of different things, my heart just broke down. And I couldn't help but to love this person and to want to do life with this person. And what does that require? That requires getting close, being vulnerable, being a safe place for the other. And my hope and desire and prayer is that Bethany, West Seattle, that yes, we will gather on Sunday as a matter of fact, I'm going to invite the worship team back up now. Yes, we will sing and we will celebrate and we will encourage one another as a, as a weekly rhythm in our lives because that's important. But also that it won't just stop there. That we won't just think that going to church uh, is enough to bear fruit, to be like Jesus, 
to have a heart like Jesus, to reflect who Christ is, that showing up on Sunday isn't enough. That's like planting the seed in the ground and walking away and saying, all right, I hope for the best. It's being intentional and saying, you know what? We're going to do life with people. You know, and Jesus had, you know, a, a group of friends. Yes, Jesus was friendly. Yes, Jesus was lovely. He was Jesus. But even he had just a solid group of friends that he did life with. And my hope and desire is that we have that too. I hear stories. I mean, we have small group ministry. And next week, in the following week, we're going to be launching more small groups. And this is going to be a shameless plug, but it's because I really believe in it, where I really believe each and every one of us can be connected to a group. And so we're kind of restructuring it. We're going to have this umbrella of groups, and we're going to have growth groups, and then we're going to have connect groups. And growth groups is exactly that. It's going to be a longer commitment. In order for us to do community together, we have to be in covenant with one another. Life happens, I know, but so many times I've seen churches, even this church and other churches, where they gather as a group and they say, you know what, I got busy. Yes, we will always be busy. You will always have something to do. Yes, emergencies will pop up uh, and things will happen. But if you want to grow and mature and to bear fruit and to become a disciple that God calls us to be in order to change the world, we must be committed to others as others are committed to you. And so this is going to be, this growth group is going to be a long term. It's going to be for the whole year where we meet weekly to, to, to bi-weekly. Uh, I really believe, practically speaking, anything less than that, it's not going to happen. And so my question and my challenge for you, especially come next week and the following week when we launch these groups, will you commit not just to a, a growth group, but to the people? Will you commit to walking alongside people and doing life with them, truly getting up in their face, getting to know them, becoming a safe place for them to be vulnerable with you and to hear stories and to share stories with one another. I can't tell you, even the last few weeks, I've heard of people in their small groups where they would come and help them renovate their house. Well, where I, the other, you know, a few months ago, I was walking down Discovery Park and, and I saw people uh, having a picnic together. And, and it wasn't because it was their small group day. It was just because they're friends. And they did life with one another. I had coffee with someone just a couple weeks ago and she told me her exact words said, her small group has been her lifeline. And so I'm not asking you to just sign up for a growth group for the sake of signing up. I'm asking you for a much, much bigger commitment. And the commitment is this, will you do life with people? People that will challenge you, that will speak truth to you in love because they want you to grow in Jesus, to become a disciple, to bear fruit. As we respond in worship and in song, I'm going to pray for us. 
But maybe our prayer, even starting this morning and even tomorrow and throughout the week, is praying, God, how, how should I be connected? It could be right away, I want to join a group. That's the first step. Or I want to lead a group. Or maybe you're already in a group and you want to say, you know what, I want to step up and I want to provide a way to become more communal or, or to do something to, to increase the, the, the element of community in this group. I don't know what it is. What does it look like for you right now to make a decision to grow, to be a disciple in the context of community? I don't know what that looks like for you, but I hope there's something. Everyone, there is something. I know it. Let's commit to that. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for loving us even through our imperfections and yet still calling us to grow and to mature and to reflect your beauty to this world. And we know that to do that fully, it is impossible to do without other people in our lives. So God, forgive us for the ways that we've been so individualistic as this world, as this society perpetuates. God, may we be different. May we say proudly, yes, I do need help. And I do want to help. God, would you bring people in our lives? Will you open doors? Will you open up our eyes to see who those people are? Maybe they look different. Maybe they, they are in a different life stage. It doesn't matter. But God, may we learn and have this desire to grow from one another. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.